Welcome to Soul Food, a podcast ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. And get started, and then I will be ready. If not, it'll be interesting. (laughs) Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the time just to uh, delve into your word. We pray that your word would be a light to our path and an illumination to our feet we would follow you in what you have to say, that we would open our hearts and our minds to understanding your word, and uh, that you would just uh, direct us in your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in Psalms chapter 20. This is a springtime psalm um, where the kings would go out to battle, you know, where it says David went out to battle, or actually it says in the times when the kings go out to battle, and David didn't, um, it was not good. Uh, But the idea is this psalm was in preparation for that. Um, And the idea is that David is saying this is kind of a prayer structure for kings, and it's how we should be praying for leadership in general. Um, Craig Broyles says a petition for the king is also a petition for us. That is that as we pray for ourselves, as we um, uh, pray for our government or people in leadership, we are, or as we pray for them, we ultimately are praying for us, that the leadership guides us in the right direction. And so David writes this to illustrate how we need to pray. Um, And he starts with like eight traditional blessing format prayers that are prayers of protection, provision, um, acceptance, blessing. And and that's kind of the structure of the psalm. Let's jump into it. Verse 1 says, For the choir director, a psalm of David, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of God, the God of Jacob, set you securely on high interesting that the prayer is that the Lord answer, but that assumes that somebody is calling. And if you're not calling, you shouldn't be expecting an answer, right? And that's for us and the king. Our prayer is that the leadership would be calling on the name of the Lord and that God would answer, right? That's the preparation. Um, if you Look at Romans 10. It says, For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches to all who call upon his name. For whoever calls upon his name, the name of the Lord, will be saved. In other words, the first focus for government, for leadership, is that they have a heart that is desperate for the Lord, that recognizes the authority structure of God being over them. And ultimately, that says to us that we are praying for their salvation. We are praying that the Spirit move the leadership in the way he calls them. Now, we know that that's not always happening. And that doesn't change the heart that we should be having for our leadership, whether it's whoever's in office 
that should be our prayer, that salvation come to each individual person because that will change the society. If the leadership is led by God, the society will follow the leadership. And in the same way, you're praying for us as leaders in the church that we hear and God is hearing our prayers, that he answers us in the day of trouble. It's interesting that he refers to Jacob here. Um, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. Uh, You know, Jacob, when you look at his life, and David packaged this intentionally, Jacob was running from his brother who wanted to kill him. He ends off off in the desert on a rock sleeping and he has this experience with God and God said and he wakes up and he says I was in the presence of the Lord and I did not know it and that should be your prayer that the people you recognize not recognizing the Lord in leadership that they would have that experience that they would suddenly hear and realize I'm in the presence of God. He is over everything. And I didn't know it. But then what happens to Jacob? He moves on. He matures. He leads his people into uh, back home. Ultimately, he has, gets a wife and brings him back home. He wrestles with God and begs for a blessing. Uh, it says that um, he um, he comes back and he puts away the foreign gods. He purifies the community in Genesis 35. And they built a, an altar to the God who answered me in the day of my distress and trouble. And that's the heart we need to have, is that God answer when our situation seems troubled and distress that we call for God to answer that trouble that distress in our lives Jeremiah points out a little bit different point that we can look at Jeremiah 30 says that that day is great and there's none like it and it shall be a time of Jacob's trouble but he will be saved from we see this reference of the righteous being saved from the time of Jacob's trouble. And so that's the other prayer we're looking for, is that God save in the midst of his final judgment, before his judgment even. And then he moves on, verse 2. May he send you help from the sanctuary and support you from Zion. Once you're secure in your faith, you still need support. It's interesting, in Genesis, what was the one thing in the Garden of Eden they needed? God brought Adam to all the animals, and he said, he looked for a helper, and there wasn't one suitable for him. So, he said, I'll make you a helper suitable for you. And then Jesus responds the same way, and says in John 14, I'll ask the Father, And he'll give you another helper. 
that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. Where does that come from? The sanctuary, the inner place of God. That's our prayer for leadership. Not only that they call on God, but that God fill them with the Holy Spirit so that they are led by the Spirit. That's the ultimate desire for all leadership. Whether it's just your pastor, whether it's your parents, whether it's your uh, your teachers, your um, government, whatever leadership there is, your police officers, that's our prayer. That God transform each individual heart. The other thing that I want you to notice is this help from the sanctuary, support from Zion, implies possibly that they're spending time in the sanctuary, in the presence of God. That when they go in to have intimacy with Jesus in their private relationship, that God bring them the gleanings they need for the time of trouble. That that help comes for them. Ephesians puts it this way, that they are to, we are all to put on the full armor of God. That you can be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against rulers and against powers and world forces of this darkness which are spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. The battle is not with people. It is a spiritual battle. And so often, especially in our politicized world, we make the battle about people. And that is not where we need to be as Christians. It should never be about people. It should be about a change of hearts. And that's our desire for everybody in government. Verse 3 says, May he remember all your meal offerings and find your burnt offerings acceptable. You know, David was there when Saul made his sacrifices. He was a young kid. And there's two sacrifices I think of when I read uh, 1 Samuel. In chapter 7, it says the offering was made and the Lord thundered forth. He confused the armies of the Philistines and the city of Israel was restored and then there was another sacrifice a couple chapters later chapter 13 where Samuel had said wait for me and we'll make the sacrifice and then we'll go to war and he didn't wait he presumptuously said you know what I don't, I don't have time to wait for godly men for leadership I'm going to do it myself because you know I'm the king I have the rights because I'm the king I'm the ruler and it devastated the whole community they lost the battle and ultimately God rejected Saul's plan David says May he remember the right offering. And may the offering be acceptable 
not just a show, but an acceptable offering. We see the same thing in Genesis where Cain and Abel bring different offerings. One was accepted and one was not. Because one came from a right heart and one came from a prideful heart. And that's our prayer. That leadership come with humility to the Lord. Romans says, present your body as a living uh, and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. It is a, just like the meal offerings, these are continually offered. Same thing in Hebrews. Through him, let us offer up a sacrifice of praise continually. That is the fruit of our lips, which make confession to his name. These are our offerings of continuation that I confess that God is over me and that I am in submission to him. And God has put me in the leadership that I'm in and the role that I'm in. And for us, it's the same thing. We need to have that confession, that, that act of worship that is a daily sacrifice where we offer up praise to God. Hebrews 10 tells us about another offering. The second half is the burnt offering. This is a yearly offering, a sin offering. Hebrews says, every priest stands daily ministering and offering time and time again the same sacrifice, which can never take away sin. But he, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sin for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. It's our prayer that leadership recognize the offering that's been made for them. It is Jesus, the only acceptable offering. Ultimately, it's the behavior of the leadership that needs to be acceptable before God. And that's our prayer. And it should be your prayer for anyone that's in leadership over you. Interesting, he stops here with this note, the sila, which notes arrest. And, and this is really important because this core three verses needs to be your prayer. And you need to pause and examine yourself in the way you're praying for leaders. Are you praying for leaders first? Second, how are you praying for them? Is this the core? Some think that there's this notes a change in voice. And that's very possible that the priest is speaking in, in verse 4. But it's something we need to contemplate. Verse 4 says, May he grant your heart's desire and fulfill all your counsel. That is, may the Lord give the people and the king their heart's desire. And the reality is that's what God does. When the kingdom is wicked, God gives us the wicked desires of the people. And he allows it to destroy itself. When it's led by righteousness, he causes it to flourish. Proverbs puts it this way. When the righteous increase, the people 
rejoice. But when the wicked man rules, the people groan. So the idea is that this can be a blessing or a curse. When the ruler's hearts are right, their counsel will reflect the will of God. And we need to pray that that desire come forth. Verse 5 says, We will sing for joy over your victory. And in the name of our God, we'll set up our banners. We'll shout for joy when the king is victorious. The other reading is, May we shout for joy when the king is victorious. That is, may we recognize when there's victory in the kingdom. Because often we don't. Often we miss it. When our heart is not right, we don't see the victory of the king. Now, the king we're talking about is Jesus. He is victorious. And sometimes we miss that victory that he has overcome this world. We're so focused on what's going on around us that the battle, having already been won, we think, hey, we're still in the midst of this battle. But it's, it's conquered. He's finished the work. And it's our job to proclaim the victory of the Lamb. He's finished it. The king is victorious. And, and in the same way, when we see the kings of this world not following God, we can't claim, we can't be happy until they recognize the kingdom. So it comes back to that first prayer. We need to pray that the kingdom be revealed to the people in leadership. Therefore, he says, I lost my place. <laughs> we will sing for joy over your victory. Um, and in the name of our God, we will set up banners. What's the victory? What's the banner? Solomon says, his banner over us is love. That's the banner we should be raising every day. That God is love. And he is over everything. Whether it's governments or leadership in any way, he's the ultimate authority. And that ultimate authority is to bring love to this world. Prophetically, Jesus is risen from the grave. And the reason we sing, the reason we're joyful is his victory. Verse 6 says, Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven. And with the saving strength of his right hand. I know that the Lord answers. And it's unsure who's speaking here. 
some some say this uh, is the king himself responding I have seen the victory of the Lord and I know that he answers when I call and for David that that's what happened he recognized that God answered his calls and for those praying in the same way we know that the Lord saves and so we can rest knowing that he's already done the work some boast in chariots some in horses but we will boast in the name of the Lord where's your boasting is it in the name of the Lord that's what he's calling us to, to celebrate what he's done in your life and for you, what he's doing currently in the world. There's an interesting contrast here with us and them. They trust in military. We trust in God. It's interesting David doesn't renounce his military, but he says it's not about this physical might. It's about the will of God. God's in control, and I boast that he has led me to do what we need to do. It's all God's, under God's authority. First Samuel 17, um, 45, we see David kind of illustrating this same idea when he's speaking to Goliath. He says, you come to me with sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands. He goes on and says that, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or spear. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will Give you into our hands. There's two proclamations here. One is for the, the overarching world that it knows there is a God. The other is for the assembly to be secure in their faith that it's not about this physical battle. It's about God being in control and moving. Deuteronomy has the same uh, layout in chapter 20. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, is with you. The Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies and to save you. Whose battle was it? Now, they did participate in the battle, right? You think about the whole situation in, in Jericho. He said, listen, I'm going to send you into this place. You're not going to do anything. All I want you to do is walk around the city silently. Just shut up, stop talking, and trust me. Keep doing it repetitively for a week. And you know 
That gets old. You're standing in the middle of enemy territory, and all you're called to do is walk. Sometimes it feels like that. It's all we're called to do. Just trust me. I'm going to do something. You've got to wait for it because it's going to be crazy. I'm going to do it in my time, not yours. Trust me. Do what I've told you to do and be faithful about it. And sometimes we get burnt out walking around the city. But we want to see the salvation of the Lord. And we know that it's his battle. So we faithfully obey. Continue to walk. And he says on the last day, walk around it seven times. And what happens? The walls fall. Well, before that, by this point, all the enemies on the wall probably looking down going, what are these idiots doing? You know, we have this great wall that we can have chariot fights on the top of. It's amazing. We have all the power in the world. We're secure in our walls. Are there walls around you that you've tried to be secure in? God needs to crumble. He's coming. You can fall before him now or you can fall later. There's a crumbling coming of this world. He says you can boast in chariot and people and your power, but we are to boast in the name of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 10 says, Though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, that is carnal, but they're mighty through God. Another translation says, Divinely powerful to the pulling down of strongholds, destroying fortresses, casting down imaginations, anything, that is speculative, destroying speculation, another translation says. And every high thing that exalts itself or raises itself against the knowledge of God. Everything that raises itself against knowing who God is. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ the submission of Christ. That's where your battle is. It's trusting God that he knows the best way and he is doing a work and we don't understand it and that's okay. The battle is against spiritual forces that are destroying people's lives. And we need to enter that battle standing firm. Verse 8 says they have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. How do we do that? Going back to Ephesians, he says, 
we stand upright by taking on the full armor of God. That you may be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Have you surrounded yourself in truth? Because that's part of holding yourself up. That's how God holds you. It's true. We are to be the people of truth. Is there honesty in your heart? Or are there lies? He says, gird your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. That is, our actions need to be righteous. What we're doing, the way we're behaving, the core of our bodies is active in doing what's right. Having shod our feet, with the preparation of the gospel. Where we go, our heart is to bring peace to people because there's so much unrest everywhere. There's so many people, no peace. That's the gospel. It's the gospel of peace. That's our heart, that we want the king to have peace in the land. shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, which we're able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. We are prepared. We have a guard. We trust the Lord. Because of all the prophecies that he's fulfilled, he's been faithful to speak the truth and to do his will and accomplish what he says. We know that that's been done in the past and it's going to continue. And so we have firm faith in him. That's why we read the Old Testament. Because it has all kinds of amazing things where God has said, hey, we're going to do this. And then a couple books later, you find out, hey, it happened. And you're like, huh, he proclaimed the truth and it happened. shield of faith that we can extinguish. It doesn't say the arrows don't sometimes pierce us, but the flames are put out. The part that would have consumed you is removed. Sometimes we do get hit. taking on the helmet of salvation. What's in your mind? Is your mind focused on the fact that God has saved you? He is saving you. It's a continuing work. He's saving us from ourselves often. And he's saving us from the world. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Is the sword in your hand? 
looking at what's the purpose of the word? It's for defense. In this context. Because what did we just say? We're not doing anything but standing. We're holding the ground that we've been given. That's God's call. I have finished the work. Hold the ground. Don't let the enemy advance on you. And take your ground that I've given you. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. With this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. What's the goal? To defend each other. We're standing our ground defending one another. Our prayer life is to be others oriented. Standing our ground. Pouring our heart for the struggles of the people around us. Because the struggles are real. And they need the transforming power of the Spirit in every situation they're struggling with. It's interesting that the word here, having stood upright, this is standing firm, but it also can be we restore ourselves. We help each other up. It's a participation in the lives of one another. We build up each other by battling in prayer. There's a prep work to standing. And we need to take part in that preparation. Interesting Verse 8 is very prophetic as well. Philippians 2.9 says, God bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus everyone shall bow. Of those in heaven, on earth, under the earth, that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. They have bowed down and stood there. That assumes that we already bowed down. You can't rise up without having already bowed down. David closes the psalm saying, Save, O Lord. May the king answer us in the day we call. It isn't just God save the king. The name here is Jehovah. It's specific. Jehovah save us. Answer us when we call. Give victory to the king. And for David, that's what he's looking for. He is longing for Messiah. We get to be on the other side of that. But we're also longing for his return. 
Second Chronicles 20:15 says, "Don't fear or just be dismayed because of the great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's." He goes on in, in verse 17 to say, "You need not fight in this battle. Station yourself, stand, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf." stand and see the salvation of the Lord in the kingdom that we're in knowing that the king is Jesus we want to stand and see him salvation but we also need to be praying for the leaders apply it to David as king he says listen pray for me that this is the way I am. Now, clearly the society didn't always do that. David ended up falling, staying home, not going out to battle. And later on, the kingdom suffered greatly because of it. Station yourself and stand. First Timothy 2 says, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. What's the call? We all need to be praying for everybody, anybody in leadership, as well as anybody around you, all people. What are we to pray? It goes on, verse 2. It's a God who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. What's the prayer? Salvation for people. That the king save. How do we pray? You drop down a little bit more in verse 8. We're to pray without wrath or dissension. You know, it's very easy to look at the government of this nation and to pray wrathfully and dissentively. Dissension, dissent. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> it's easy to do that because we're frustrated with what's going on. to be one of love whether it's for Biden or Kamala that God change their heart God draw them reveal himself in the desert they're living in because they need it just as much as anybody else without wrath without dissension a right heart. First, you have to be humbled so that you can pray right. Revelation ends chapter 22, 17. says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let the one who hears say, Come. Is that what the Spirit is calling 
out of you? Come to Jesus. You need him. Like the one who's thirsty. Fall before him. Rise and stir. Go into the world and make disciples, teaching them everything that I've already commanded you. I'm with you. I've done the work. Go and do what I've called you to do. Father, we thank you that you've called us to a new life. And it isn't just about ourselves anymore. It's about one another. Come to you and stand firm in the victory that you have proclaimed to us. So we lift you up in Jesus' name.